You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Good morning. The focal passage is found in 2 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be reading the entire chapter. So 2 Peter chapter 2. I encourage you, if you have your Bibles, that you get those out and follow along. Otherwise, uh, follow along on the screens. But false prophets also arose among the people just there, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in all in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. Suffering wrong is the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than to have known, knowing it, to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. This is God's word. You all can be seated, and any children can be dismissed to their classes at this time. Thanks for that light reading, Adam. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. And just as a little note, I was at my daughter's soccer game this morning, um, and just what a gift to be able to, <laughs> to, be able to show up um, a little later than usual, and gosh, then people serving and leading and greeting and all the things. Um, y'all are a gift um, for real. So thanks for letting me be a dad and, uh, and also letting me open up God's Word this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, thanks for the gift of this family, and thanks for the way of truth. Thanks for Jesus who who not only model, models that way for us, but in, invites us in and by the Spirit unites us by faith in the way of righteousness. And as we look at this text today, there's so much in it, and it's, it's so rich and 
There's no way we can hit on everything in it today, but would you just show us the contrast of, of your way um, with what we see here, the, the false way, the way of the false teacher and the false prophet? Would you quicken us today in, in our hearts and in our minds and, and in the course of our lives? If, if we are leading people astray, would you lead us to repentance today? And if we are being led astray, would you lead us to repentance today? And would you show us the way, the way of truth um, by your word we love you, and we need you today as much as any other day we've ever lived. In Jesus' name, amen. How to spot a counterfeit piece of U.S. currency according to the internet. Number one, uh, feel its texture, right? What does it feel like? Um, those who deal with money regularly, bankers or cashiers or whatever, they'll probably be able to tell if it's printed on, uh, you know, 20-pound HP paper or if it's printed on uh, government mint. Um, number two, observe the print quality. Look for a lack of details, especially in the finer print sections. You guys should be taking notes on this unless you want to be had, right? Um, number three, notice the serial numbers. Compare the spacing, or for you graphic designers, the kerning, right? Between the letters, uh, make sure that all of them are the right height. Um, they're on there twice, so make sure that they look exactly the same. Uh, there are many security features, so this would be like number four. In, in 1990, we added some, uh, and then in 2002 and 2005, there were some changes, mostly for bills higher than like 20, I think. Um, and so there's a security thread in there, a little piece of plastic, really tough to duplicate in, in your mom's basement, right? It's tough to put that in uh, the paper. Um, colored fibers, really difficult to print uh, in, in just normal printing. And, and also there's a watermark, so if you hold it to the light, you see like presidents or, or whoever's on there, you see their face. Um, color shifting ink. Same thing, it kind of goes back and forth, really difficult just to print. Crisp, clear micro printing. There are really small sections of larger bills just so that they can be validated as legitimate. Um, the ridges on the vest of the portrait, if you rub your fingernail across it, it's actually like you can, you can feel it. It um, has some kind of relief in it. Um, and then lastly, compare it to a legitimate bill. Uh, Kind of goes without saying, but, but look at the real thing uh, and observe the differences between what you think is there. Um, usually, if there's even one distinction or one difference, then it's probably a fake. And if you, if you thought that this was completely irrelevant today, I'll have you know this. The U.S. Department of Treasury claims uh, on the low end that there are roughly $70 million in circulation of counterfeit currency today. That would be between one, uh, one out of every 10,000 notes is, is not real. Uh, but on the high end, they said it's probably maybe more like one in 4,000. So every one in 4,000 legitimate legal tender notes, uh, every one is, is an imposter, right? It's a counterfeit. It's a fake. So the, the obvious connection, I hope, uh, in, in that and the text that we're looking at today in, in 2 Peter chapter 2 is is Peter is warning the church of imposters, those with counterfeit faith, those imposters of truth who are infiltrating from the outside by having a, a loud voice and from the inside with baseless, knockoff brand discipleship that's bent on selfish destruction and the destruction of others rather than the life-giving truth of a risen king who sets his people free on the way of his glory and their joy. So where that meets us today is uh, you sitting right where you are. Will I be found out that I'm an imposter? Um, and, and secondly, will I be made the fool by following a way or a, a person, an influencer, whatever, um, that, that leads to destruction, that, that isn't true, that isn't real. That's where this finds us today. Uh, false teachers lead astray, but God is faithful 
to judge the wicked and to rescue the righteous. That's what we're looking at today. False teachers lead astray, but God is faithful to judge the wicked and to rescue the righteous. And the good news is there are only two points, right? Uh, the bad news is the first one has, has five subpoints. So um, we're just kind of going to jump in here. And, and what we see Peter saying, the, the, the first thing, this would be like A, right, is, is this deceivers going to deceive, right? That's what we see. Chapter 2 comes as a dramatic contrast to chapter 1. The way of truth, fruitful and faithful, and all the stuff that we've been looking at uh, in this first chapter, it's, it, it start, actually chapter 2 starts with the word but, all right? And that means like, like record scratch, this is one way, but in great contrast, it is another way. And so, so he, he begins painting out the, the way of the counterfeit. And, and the word counterfeit essentially means contrast truth. So, so he's been telling us what good, true, godly, faithful, fruitful followers of Jesus look like. And now he draws a really sharp line, all right? And so we're going to look at kind of five ways, and this is pretty direct from the text. Um, you could observe this. Uh, we hope that this is true every week, but you could observe this right off of the pages, all right? So we're just kind of working through the text. The first one is this. Um, they gain influence and they lead astray. Starting in verse 1, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. And he goes on in verse 2, And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. What he's saying is, just as, as the picture that he painted out in chapter 1 was the way of truth is, is a long time coming. The prophets of old have pointed us to the one true God. The apostles and, and ultimately Jesus point us to the way, the one true God. And that's been happening for a long, long time. In the same way, there are, have, have been those that have opposed the way of truth for a long, long time. And so he says, just as, as has been the way, he's re referencing the Old Testament, and in, in modern context, he says, so it will be with you, right? Th this has been going on for a long, long time, and it will continue to be going on for uh, a long, long time. We in this room would be fools to think that the influence of the wicked or, or the false teacher leading astray, we would be fools to think that this stopped in the first century. We would be fools to think that, that it stopped with Peter's letter or, or any time since then. False teachers prowl about, and, and it says many will follow their sensuality. And so there's like some sexuality in the way that they're doing what they're doing. Uh, loose sexuality, illicit lifestyle, persuasive enthusiasm. Many will follow that. The way of truth will be blasphemed. So what we see is Peter's concern is, is twofold. It's for the people who would be caught up in their destruction, and it's for the way of truth. It's for understanding who the one true God is. And I can't think uh, of, th there may never have been a culture more primed for being swayed by the winds of the day than the one that you're sitting in right now. And they probably could have said that all along the way. And every culture said, oh, it's, it's just really bad now, right? So I'm not being overly dramatic, but because of the, the thing that we have access to, because everyone has a mic, what it means is that we can listen to someone talk about anything that we want to suit our itching ears, as, as the Bible would say. So, so Christians have, have never been more malnourished by the truth of Scripture. Even in, in the good old U.S. of A., by, by the way of truth, and, and the world has never been so loud. And that creates like a real problem 
for us who are striving to find and walk in the way of truth. So, so he says they will exploit and they will take advantage and they will benefit from, from reckless words and false claims and false truths and, and heretical teaching. Guys, I, I know what it's like to hear all of the noise or to hear me week after week spout stuff at you or to listen to whatever you listen to and, and kind of want to just crawl in a hole and say, but like, but can we just follow Jesus? Like, can we just, like, can we just agree with that, right? That, that is a good thing to agree on, right? Um, I, I know what it's like to just say, okay, but yeah, but it's like, can we, just, can we just love each other and follow Jesus and live in harmony with our neighbor and like kumbaya and all this stuff? And I would say, man, that is a great aspiration. Like, like by and large, yes. And, and we get to live peaceably, as much as depends on us, live peaceably with all men, right? It means that we don't get to be revilers and, and just overly critical or anything like that. But, but if we think that everyone who has something to say has our best interest in mind, or, or if everyone who has something to say has a desire for truth in mind, then we are taking bait that's not fit to digest. Like, it's, it's never just been that simple. Not, not for 2,000 years of the, of the church or prior to that. Now, like, the essence of that is a really good thing. Like, just love and, and follow Jesus and, like, but, but at some point you have to begin to figure out what it looks like to love uh, in the way of the Lord and what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so this book is that way. It, it is a guidebook for us to live according to the way. Otherwise, we're, we're forsaking warning that's from the Spirit, that's from old, and, and today is for us. The second thing they do, so, right? So they, so they gain influence and they lead astray. The second thing is they deny the master. And this is what he says in the second part of uh, verse 1. He says, They bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. Right? And, and we see that language a lot for what God has done for us. They are deserters of, of the way, Right? There's always going to be another way. And, and these people, they're going against the grain of culture. They're going against uh, the, the way, the way of truth. And so I just want to point to like a handful of heresies that you may have never heard of in your whole life. All right? But this is, this is some church history stuff. All right? So I just want to point to a handful of them. One, Arianism. Anybody ever heard of that? Hey, that's good. Fourth century, Egyptian priest basically claim that Jesus is is a son hey but but neither eternal nor divine okay and and so maybe that would be today like wow yeah Jesus is like a really good moral teacher like you should listen to what he has to say about things cuz he's like he's a really nice guy so like, okay, he, he's, he's son, but, but he's neither eternal nor divine. Uh, the, the Marcionites, uh, second and third century, they pitted the vengeful, angry God of the Hebrew Bible against the loving, forgiving God of the New Testament. I'm glad that's not around anymore. As, as if it's not one story and one God of justice and one God of love and one God of rescue. I believe in, hey, I believe in Jesus, but man, like, okay. If you quantify your faith in Jesus with um, discarding two-thirds of the Bible, you don't believe in Jesus. The docetist proposed the Son never took on human flesh. Bodily Jesus was an illusion, therefore he never died on the cross. And so, like, hey, there's some faith in there. Like, no, man, like, he showed up as a spirit creature. It's really good. But that kind of undermines redemption by the blood of the cross. His death for our sin. The Nestorians, early Christians, believed that, that human and divine persons of Jesus remain separate. Jesus and the Son of God are not quite one in the same. 
And that probably has some implications to how you would see this thing live out. The Pelagians, right? Maybe you've heard of the Pelagian controversy. Kind of a big deal. Fifth century British monk. He preached in Rome that Christians could uh, earn their way into heaven by doing good deeds without need for divine grace. Again, super thankful that went away. Right? All these are way more complicated than one line. Right? And you can look up any of them, and if you want some resources on like, hey, I would like to read more, I can point you to a couple books. But, but the point is, why would I say this? Because, one, sound doctrine matters. And you might say, well, I mean, they were close enough. They, they were not close enough. Right? Close enough doesn't, doesn't matter when we're aiming for who God is and who has, how he has revealed himself to be true. Like, these things really, really matter. Sound doctrine matters. And for those who, who might say to me or to us, like, again, like, can't we just love people and, like, move on? Like, read the epistles, and not just this one, but read First Timothy and Second Timothy and Titus, and what you'll see is there's basically one objective that Paul has for Timothy. As he's planting churches and moving on, he says, establish elders and teach sound doctrine. And there are going to be people that come against you and they're going to say things that are not sound. Fight against them. I, I charge you to herald what is true. Why? Because any sniper knows that if you're, if you're off a, a millimeter, a 600-yard shot, you're off, you might as well be off a mile. Like you can't sort of, eh. Like we can't do that. I mean, it's not to say that they outright worshipped Satan, but we know that Satan showed up as an angel of light. Like, he didn't, he didn't have the tail. He didn't, he's not using the pitchfork. Like, I don't even think he's been on a farm. Why would he have a pitchfork? He's an angel of light. He's not like, I'm the worst thing ever. You should come and follow me. You're like, I'm not going to do that. But it's the near miss that leads us astray. It, it's, it's, it's nearly always a form of godliness which denies its power. And in all of those heresies, the power is it's Jesus. That's true then, it's, it's true today. So we have to be careful what we buy into. We have to guard our ears and our mind and our heart against shams and scams, imposters, counterfeit prophets and, and teachers masquerading as truth sent from God. Man, in, in that, there is a balance of, of friendly fire. And look, I'm, I'm not encouraging us to be theological critics. Like, we have enough of those. And, and you can say, well, like Christian tribalism, that is you kind of settle in to these voices and these authors and these pastors and you kind of settle into this way of thinking, right? That, that can be uh, divisive for sure. But it can also be really helpful. It can be helpful to put guardrails up. And, and this, this I know, that when, when somebody posts something just stupid... <laughs> Or they quote some best-selling book that's terrible, but it's like in the Christian section. Or one thing I know is is that my wife is like researching. It's she's probably not going to read the book, right? She's probably not going to no. But what she's going to do is she's going to research and say, "Man, where does this person sit?" Right? What what is their theological grid? How are they engaging culture? And I love that about my wife. And so if, if there's a, a, a book that comes out, she's checking Tim Challey's. Like, what's Tim Challey? I know he's did a book review on this. Like, Tim Challey's a, a trusted voice. And so we'll go there, Tim Challey's, uh, search the book. Oh, gosh. Like, uh, and he affirms it. And it doesn't mean that we just discard everything or that we just, we would never read anything. Or she's checking out articles on the Gospel Coalition. And, and to be fair, as we do that, and as we talk about those things, we're not just blindly saying, well, it's what, it's what Tim Keller said, then we like, have to believe it. It's what Piper said, we have to. Not at all. It's frightening sitting in elders' meetings when you disagree with the greatest theologians of, of our day on some cultural topic. or, or some, It's frightening. And yet, we get to lead, 
And we, and we get to interpret the text with fidelity, and we get to walk in that. And what that means is, as, as elders, and, and knowing that we lead a church that listens to a thousand voices, and there's a, a huge paradigm of, of politics and of uh, theological pillars and all kinds of things in this room, what a gift. There, there is no preaching to the choir. One, we, we don't have one. And, and two, like you all wouldn't be wearing the same robes. What a gift. But, but what we get to do is we get to try to at least listen to snippets of, of all of these things. And it was a bit overwhelming 18 months ago when everyone was saying everything about everything and, and, and racial stuff, and justice stuff, and, and mask stuff, and all the things. And there's, like I described it as like these just bubbles that are always floating out there. And, and my fear is that I would hear somebody talking about a bubble, and I wouldn't have categories to like, I don't, I don't, I've never even stuck my head inside of that bubble. And so sometimes my job and our job as elders feels like it's like research assistant. We just have to figure out what's out there so that we can engage all of that, look, that's not just for elders. You get to do the same thing. And you can't know everything about everything, neither can I. But we get to have our, our uh, hand on the pulse of, of culture to know, uh, especially if you're a parent, you should know what kind of crazy stuff, uh, how the wind is blowing in the culture around us. So, so my prayer is that, we, that we're not cynical critics, but we are filled with the Spirit and, and love, and we are thoughtful students of what's true. The third thing, they, they are bold and reckless. Starting in verse 10, he says a lot of, <clears throat> he says a lot of stuff. He says, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and and they despise authority bold and willful they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones they come against God's people just callously they, they don't care they're not afraid to do that whereas angels though greater in might and power do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord but these like irrational animals I mean like Peter is like he is like he is I think this is in all caps, right? Let's just say it. Uh, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. What he's saying is that they're not even being sneaky about it. They herald their sin in broad daylight. Oh, gosh, I'm so glad that we don't live in a culture like that. And then it gets really personal. While they, it says, uh, they are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. This is not, these are not people on the internet. These are people in your home. They have eyes for adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way. They have gone astray. They have followed the way of, of Balaam, right? And so we look at this. At, at first glance, they may seem like the real thing filled with wisdom. And some of the things that they're saying is like, ah, I, I really resonate with that. Because they're smooth talkers always. They're, they're PR and marketing magicians. They're saying things that sound close, but for those who have handled money before, in time, you will know. Remember the first time I ever went to my girlfriend's house when I was like, you know, young, much older than my kids. I was much older. And, and I grabbed a piece of fruit out of the fruit basket on the table, and it was, it was not real fruit. It was plastic fruit. And so I obviously, did, did I eat the, I didn't eat the fruit, right? It was apples and grapes, but it was there for like a decade. And every time I went over there with that, because I'm just, I'm so funny, 
every time I just grabbed it and just waited for her mom to say, hey, you know, you can't eat, that's not, and so I would just stand there with a fake app. Like, that's how funny I am. And I was only 15. That's, that's funny at 15 me. It's not real. It's an imposter. You can't eat that. But, but what he's saying is there's a reason why you people are sharing meals with them. There's a reason why they're in your home. It's part of the game they play. It's part of the game that they are being played, fi- played by, but they have eyes for adultery. True story. Three pastor friends, three weeks, each of them, Monday conversation, hey, how was the week? Hey, whatever. Oh, gosh. Got this adultery situation that I'm working through. Two of the three of them, someone in leadership. Eyes for adultery. Insatiable for sin. They just can't get enough of it. They, they can't, it's not, it's caffeine or it's sugar. They just can't get enough of the sin. They entice unsteady souls. Why did they do that? Because steady souls aren't carried away by every wind of doctrine. And we say this many times. Satan is not going after the, the pride of, of the wildebeest. He's going after the, the three-legged wildebeest that's, that's away from the family. Followed the way of Balaam. Gosh, Numbers 22, it's a long story, but this guy is going somewhere. And God said, hey, only say true things. And he's riding this donkey, and he's going, uh, Balak is the king, and, and Balaam is on this donkey, and the donkey, like, takes a hard left, and Balaam, like, hits the donkey. Uh, and then, uh, then the donkey goes through, there's, like, vineyard, and, um, and, and the donkey is seeing this, the angel of the Lord with a sword. And so the donkey's like, uh, I'm not going there. All right, and so he does it again. He takes a hard left the first time. The second time, he, he like skirts around a wall, and he, and he hurts uh, Balaam's leg. And Balaam, you know what he does? He hits the donkey. He says, why are you doing this to me? And the third time, he's like in an alleyway, like in the police chase, and there's the fence that they can't climb, and the boxes, like it's something like that, right? And like he just can't go anywhere. And so you know what the donkey does? It just like lays down. And Balaam's like, what are you doing and the donkey's like, hey, back off. I saw the angel of the Lord. That's why I'm not going. The donkey said that. And then Balaam's having a conversation like, you read the text. He says, you made me look like a fool last night. <laughs> Dead serious. And then you know who shows up? The angel of the Lord says, Balaam, what are you doing? And he said, yeah, this donkey... Not doing what I'm asking her to do. And, and he says, you know, I, I, well, let me read this. The angel of the Lord asked him, why have you beaten your donkey three times? I've come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from these three times. If it had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now, but I would have spared the donkey. And he repents and some other stuff and whatever. Um, he's saying that, that these people are bold, reckless fools. You don't know what you're doing. And then he says waterless springs, right? You, you offer no relief, no life, nothing good, but, but only bring destruction and havoc. It would be like walking through a desert and you're parched and, and you need something to drink and you see a well and you're like, oh my gosh, it's finally here. And you get to the well and you pull it up and all that's in there is a bucket of sand. That's what they offer you. They're bold and reckless fools. Fourth, they're slaves of corruption. They, we, are known by our fruit, right? There is no category. I heard uh, Matt Chandler this week in, in a sermon, he says this. He says, there's no category for a Christian because you said some prayer when you were nine years old. Uh, you know you are a follower of Jesus because you follow Jesus. Hey, I, I don't know. I think I'm, 
am I in? I, I know this person, but they, do they follow Jesus? Well, I know, like they went to church like years ago. Are they following Jesus? Are you following Jesus? That's, that's pretty simple. And is there hope? Is there hope in some wayward? Is there hope in some, sure there is. But like, don't bank on that. Bank on this. If you're a follower of Jesus, you know that because you are following Jesus. And you might be distracted and you might forget and you might fall into to patterns or, or, or things that are, that are broken or you might be enticed to sin. But, but at the end of the day, in the core of your heart, the center of your being, do you want to follow Jesus or do you want to follow yourself or do you want to follow something else other than the one true living God? I want to follow Jesus. And I struggle to do that. But God be glorified in your life. Man, I, 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 I get it and I hear that and I, I want, and then I find myself, but today, but right now, do you want to follow Jesus? Or do you want to forsake him and gain the world? I want to follow Jesus. God be glorified in your life. That's not these people. <laughs> do these characteristics or these character traits reflect the way of Christ? Well, remember in chapter 1, he says, he says, having escaped from corruption, we have become partakers of the divine nature. And he says it looks like this, faith and virtue and knowledge, and he's building this staircase and self-control, and of self-control and steadfastness, that means you're seeing it through and steadfastness uh, with godliness, and godliness with brother, brotherly affection, you love one another, and finally the, the capstone and the cornerstone is love and what he's saying is these people are living opposite way at every turn, and he says this, they promise freedom but themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. You want to know if you're in Christ? He, he will win the day. And if you're not, then, then that will overcome you. And that's what he's, he's pointing out. He's saying, those people over there, look at them. Look at their life. They're, they're slaves to corruption. And he says, uh, maybe it seems as if maybe they, they stepped out of the ways of the world for a bit, and maybe they dabbled with hanging out uh, with the church or, or like trying to figure out some stuff. They have a knowledge of Christ, but, but then they've fallen back into the ways of the world, thus heaping judgment upon them. And, and he says it this way, the dog returns to its own vomit. One, true, sad like in canine world, that's just, why do you do that? But, but secondly, he's saying, you, you go back to your, your junk. And he says, uh, and, and even in the same way, the, the sow or, or the, the hog after washing herself returns to wallow in the mire. Also true of dogs, bathe them and they go around in the dirt, right? Why do you do that? So he's saying their lifestyle may have changed for a time, but, but they are who we thought they were. Unregenerate, untransformed, unchanged, enslaved to sin rather than free to live righteousness. Now I know people who, who don't care who the person is that they're listening to. So long as they're saying things that are helpful. And like, here's the thing, false teachers are going to say some things that are true. Otherwise, they would look like Satan, and re remember, they don't. So, so I, I know many people who, who are like, well, I, yeah, I'll, I'll listen to them. I mean, they, so long as they're saying some things that are helpful, then yeah, I'll continue to, to, to follow them or listen to them. And that's not to say that I don't listen to a lot of stuff that I just adamantly disagree with and take in a lot of stuff. That's okay. So long as you have a filter uh, to know what is true. But, but here's the thing. Um, I'm not one of those people. <laughs> There's a prominent church, one of the largest in the country, I think. I think every church is the fastest growing country in the, or every church is the fastest growing church in the country, except for the one that we're at. All right, let's do something about that. <clears throat> um, 
they, so they stage baptisms, right, allegedly, right? Uh, spontaneous baptisms. Uh, hey, we're, you want to trust Jesus today? Uh, we got this, the baptistry open, like, let's go do this. All right, so they have the first, I don't know, 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 50 people. Some of them already Christians stand up, come and get in line so that they might get baptized. Why would they do that? Well, because, like, nobody wants to be the first one to do anything. At that point, I'm just letting you, I'm out. I, I don't care what that pastor says. Dude, I... I like, you couldn't pay me enough to, like, get me farther away from embracing something that they're manipulative imposters. But they, they have great marketing. Even better bands. Great music. Me? I'm out. If you... If you minimize sin to grow a church, I'm out. <laughs> if, you, if you pragmatize things that, that work at the expense of Christ alone, I'm out. If you're pastoring a prominent church, and you get removed from that church, and your Twitter handle remains pastor name, I'm out. You're not a pastor. You're not even a good church member. So when, when you send me the email this week asking me for money, you're not going to get money from me because you're a fraud. And you might be saying, who are these? You should figure it out. These people are inviting people into a faith, a, a belief, a worldview that promises freedom. But it might not be today. It only brings captivity and darkness and death. This is the exact opposite of what we have in Christ. We, we are born slave to sin and by the good news of, of the good shepherd, lived, applied, proclaimed, we are legitimately set free from the bonds of sin and we are set free to live a life in response to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, no longer entangled but detangled, no longer eating our own vomit but cleansed from it and feasting with our Lord, no longer wallowing in our filth but cleansed from the filth that's happened to us and, and the filth that's, that's come through us, cleansed from the inside and the out. Fifth, they will not be spared. Rest assured, they will not be spared. Past patterns are the best indicators of future behavior. Anybody know that? Anybody, anybody ever hire people? You probably know that. And that doesn't mean that you just look at your past and say, well, that's what I'm destined. That's not. But what it does mean is, by and large, Right? If you say, no, I know all of these things, I've done this, but, but it's going to be di different this time. Right? Before you get hired, you know what you have to do? Your words don't mean anything. So let's, let's hang out for a year and see what happens. This is true for the imposters, the counterfeits, those who lead astray, and it's true for the Lord. Right? Uh, we are time is not in a good place right now. Bringing on themselves swift destruction, right? This is from this text. I'm just pulling some things out. Their condemnation is not idle. Their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but he cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what he's going to, uh, what is going to happen to the ungodly, then the Lord knows how to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, these irrational animals born to be caught and de destroyed. Blaspheming about matters they're ignorant about will also be destroyed 
in their destruction, destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. For them, the gloom and the utter darkness has been reserved. Two emotions in response. One, relief. Oh, justice rolls down. The other, it's frightening because justice rolls down. God will not overlook the wicked, especially those who have caused harm to the righteous. And, and Peter is warning them. He's reminding that the Lord knows how to judge the wicked. And if you find yourself on the receiving end of the judgment of God, it won't end in your favor. So he says, be warned. Repent if that's you. Stop leaving a path of destruction and, and walk in the way of restoration. And if you're following a false teacher, if you're following a false prophet, stop and follow the good shepherd who leads to green pastures and quiet waters. So he's painted the picture clearly. Know what the real deal is so that you can spot the counterfeit and run from the false, misguided, blind, blinded fool who spouts off about refreshing springs but only brings thirst and sand. But the Lord knows how to rescue the godly. Two points, see? It's that simple. Again, this is pulled from this passage. God did not spare the angels, the wicked, the ancient world, but he preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness. Right? It goes on. He rescues a righteous Lot, who's greatly distressed by the wickedness around him. If this is the past patterns of the Lord then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. See, we have a great God who, who seeks and saves the lost and the wayward. He delights to call us home to him, and, and he is faithful to be safety from the evil in the world now and in the judgment to come. And he does that by, by sending his son, Jesus. The hope is the same for those driving uh, on paths paved by others and those who are paving these paths that lead to destruction. You might say, but, but how? How does he rescue? Well, he's already told us in chapter 1. He says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. He rescues the unrighteous and, and he calls us righteous. By his work and, and grace through our faith, which brings our lives in unity to the life of Jesus. It's impossible. The one who never sinned, the, the perfect one, the, the one who was the way and the truth and the life. And by our faith in his work, our lives are knit to his and, and the judgment that was due us has been born on the cross. And the life that we desire to live in in righteousness is ours by his resurrection and the spirit unifying his righteousness to us. False teachers, they lead astray. But God is faithful to judge the wicked and to rescue the righteous. From what? From trials, from false teachers, from false doctrine, from from the tangled web of sin that we've woven for ourselves, from deceiving, from being deceived, and he rescues us from destruction. And here's the kicker. You don't have to lead the masses astray for destruction to be your end. I, I hope you're not sitting here thinking, oof, gosh, I only have eight Instagram followers, so I think, I think I'm good. All you have to do is reject Jesus. And this destruction is yours. There are a few categories that we find ourselves in today. The obvious, you are a deceiver. You know it. The people who know you best know it. Right? God loves goodness and he loves his creation and he loves his own. I don't know if you saw that video of that bear on the deck with those dogs and that like 
mom came running out and just knocks this big brown bear off of her deck, like to protect her kids. Like you wish you met that woman when the judgment of God comes upon you. Or, or you're being deceived, right? Second category. Maybe you've been too careless about who you're following or, or reading or being influenced by and, and, and you read it and you believe it w- without careful consideration of, of what's true. Or maybe it's a little less obvious. You don't know. And it depends on the day and I don't know today. I, I, am I uh, being deceived? Am I a deceiver? You're unknown in general. I heard a guy this week talk about having uh, imposter phobia. And he said he, he feels like perpetually feeling like a fraud in his work life. That's a huge fear of mine. The last thing I want to do is be an imposter. When I, when I have a critic, you know what I ask before I ask anything else? Is it true? Before I defend, before I like, when someone said, I look at me and I say, is that, tr- is that true? Do two people think that? Do ten people think it? Does everyone know that but me? Here's the thing. You might not know where you stand, and you might hear this passage today, and, and you might feel like you've given the cashier a, a $50 bill, and you're waiting for them to put the little black pen on it and you maybe make a dad joke just to lighten the mood like it's it's good I printed it today but like in your heart you're like I, I mean I, I don't think I I didn't print it but I hope it's real gosh what if it's not you might feel like that today I hope I'm the real deal I hope the one that I'm following is is the real deal see in the kingdom of God you don't have to wonder if the pen is going to reveal you or, or if the final judgment will find you printed on a regular 20-pound printer paper with HP ink, apart from Christ, you, you are a fraud. And there's so much freedom in that. There was no goodness in you, no more wandering, but in Christ, you are legal tender, legitimate government Meant and you, what you get to do today is you get to follow Jesus with all that you have and strive to know the way and the truth and the life. The band can come up. Ah, lots of stuff. Sorry, I, I talked too long today. Pray with me, God. Thanks for. Thanks for the gift of of truth. Thanks for the gift of this church family. Thanks for this warning today to just remind us that not everyone is for our good and not everything with a, a Christian label or, or a, a handle is, is saying things that are true. Would you let us be just the most loving people that you could ever imagine and would you let us be the people mo- most tightly devoted to truth? We know we miss it. Would you lead us into the way? We love you in Christ's name.